0: Um, thank you everybody. I'm very, very happy and glad to be here. It's normal for me to be here at this very prestigious institution here in the UK and with we'll all of I'm sure that we can exchange points of view and I'm just here to, to tell you something about my experience because basically it's <coughs> mostly comes from knowledge of course from experience. Um, and because also I know that some fellows they're coming from countries and in turmoil, or they are ready reported from difficult situations. I started to cover uh, the issues my island. I'm from Sicily originally, I'm Italian. And for ten years, when I was very young, now I mean I know that I don't show very much my age, but I'm poetry. <laughs> 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 I I reported um, about mafia, the plagues and the received threats. So. I, I, I know the meaning of being spied any time, and people in your family, people some, that tracks you, they, people track you and try to understand if you are trying to believe something that you know, and this precious, really something that uh, affects our job. So um, I, my training was basically that training, and and then um, life pushing me in some other uh, region of the world and basically sometimes the feelings are the same uh, but mark much more, more complication about the logistics and so risk assessment plan are very important when you, when you go <coughs> into a country that you maybe don't know very well or it's not exactly your place of birth So um, so that's my experience started there, and um, I just want to talk with you about Yemen as a case study, even though I know other countries, and I reported mostly also from Iraq, uh, because actually it's a place uh, where it's so difficult to uh, to get out news, and not only news, just to, to know exactly what's happening there. Um, so um, I think it's our duty to do that. Uh, I, I strongly believe that journalist's means uh, engagement. Uh, we are not heroes at all, we are just doing our duty, and investigation is so important. It's the only way we can contribute to a better society. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes our job is not successful, sometimes it can fail. But the most important is that we keep trying, and we try to keep trying in a very honest way. And so, it happened in my you know, middle career, that sometimes I reported, but I, I didn't write one, one word about what I saw around me because uh, I wasn't sure about my sources and I didn't want to give to the audience something that I honestly, uh, I wasn't so, you know, uh, I wasn't able to fact check completely. And so, for example, happened to when I was in Kosovo and I never wrote one word about it. Because for me it was so complicated to understand the environment. Um, anyway, but uh, because I, I'm, I'm sure that um, that we should be judged by our work on the ground. Uh, first of all, I want to show you uh, a video. It's um, a result of my um, work in Yemen in the last two months. Uh, I mean, in the last two months I was there um, at the beginning of this year and um, I reported from all hospitals of the country then I will tell you how I got into it uh, how I got out, because <laughs> that's the question um, and uh, basically the job was commissioned as, uh, as a <coughs> researcher for watches.org so my work was in the middle between a um, group organisation and journalist but was one of the most amazing um, experience of my life because I, I really uh, I think it was really successful. Uh, what we reported from their pictures and evidence as violation of human rights uh, from both sides uh, went on the table of the Secretary General of the UN. Uh, of course what comes after from UN is another story. But I'm sure that I did my uh, my job and uh, and and also was really important because Yemenis are really starving to death and this is something unacceptable uh, around this century when we, threw the, the, the food in the garbage, it's really crazy to see a, a boy dying in front of you while he are filming just because he can't eat. Um, so um, I will show you this video and then I will go ahead and practical um, yes. Okay. This video just shows, um, uh, I think, that only the 20% I saw in my journey. And um, also, um, uh, because uh, it's a video for an NGO as um, strict rules about uh, picturing children and about showing graphic pictures, we decide to, um, to blur the, um, the child. Um, but also, especially, I agree somehow because because of this dignity. I mean, it was really terrible to see the child dying while I was filming. But I did it because it was the proof that uh, young people are starving to death. So, um, uh, going out from any kind of impact, emotional impact that all this uh, can have uh, on us. Uh, conflict, insecurity and humanitarian crisis actually are um, three uh, three points. So uh, they are destroying Yemen, which is a country that already has a lot of problems. Um, And uh, uh, at the beginning I just want to tell you something about Yemen, um, using Yemen as a case study for us. And then going into uh, practical uh, practical tools. Um, what's the scenario? The scenario in Yemen. Um, the scenario in Yemen um, forces, more than other scenarios, to follow the security rules uh, in order to deal better with these difficult conditions. Uh, but sounds a little bit um, uh, strange, also because uh, the problem is that we can't enter into Yemen, <laughs> and so before uh, um, following security rules, uh, we, we should get the permission to go into. And um, and actually, uh, all the reporters from different um, uh, backgrounds from different countries are struggling to have those permissions. And the permission not issued anymore by any kind of Yemeni authorities, because authority because doesn't exist a Yemen authority. So any time you go into a Yemen embassy and you ask for a visa, uh, your request is submitted to Saudis, to GCC. And then they decide if you can get in or not. But they allow you only to go in the areas that are, they are as controlled by government. So the problem is that it's quite impossible to get into Sana. That's the reason why people who are, who are able to get into the north are people who have family. Are for the family Yemeni, part of the family Yemeni, part-of-the-family Yemeni, or they have double nationality. Uh, for example, I think you follow Nawal al-Maghafi and BBC, she reported a lot of times from Yemen. It was possible because she has a double nationality. So basically no one can say, no, you can't enter it. And that's also what happened with me, because half of my family is Yemeni. And one of the reasons why I'm able to get into uh, is the fact that I have half of my family there. Uh, but at the same time, as a lot of local journalists are here, they know, um, uh, that uh, create more dangers for my family. So, And you need to balance your duty. Um, you need to balance um, uh, the test of your reporting with the threats that could happen to your family too. So this is a, um, really a, a weak point. Um, but just get into the yemen crisis uh, uh, some numbers because are always useful we have actually more than 15 uh, million yemenis that have lack access to healthcare services actually are 17 more than 500,000 children suffering from life-threatening malnutrition and one in four health facilities are shut from both sides um, in Ta'at, uh, health facilities are targeted by Houthi militias, in the north are targeted by GCC. So, from this point of view, both sides are doing their best to kill Yemenis. It doesn't matter if the, um, the, the threats come from into the country or they're coming from, uh, you know, from, from airplanes or bombs. Both of them are doing their, their best. And that's the result. We talk about humanitarian crisis in Yemen, but this is only the result of a political, political uh, status that nobody uh, is able to solve and nobody wants to solve uh, at the international level, at the local level, at the regional level. Um, there are five areas, you know there are five issues that um, related to five different areas economic security, health and food security, environmental security, (coughs) political security, and security from conflict and violence. I will go into each one of them just to give you an overview. First of all, Yemen is the poorest country in the Arab world. And it means a lot. And it's the poorest country in the Arab world and is the poorest um, in all the Arabian Peninsula, which is very rich, as you know. that means that the annual income, income per capita is um, dollars, US$1,500. Dollars. Uh, with this income, a uh, family of 20 people, 20 um, persons, they, they live and they don't starve to death. Um, we have 40% of people unemployed, but uh, the, the number is um, higher because actually it's the 60% if we consider. Um, unofficial um, employment. 80% of the national revenue is coming from oil, but depends on international commodity prices. This is a very important point because Yemen produces oil. Very few, but produces oil, but doesn't use this oil. Something you know happened also in Iraq, in different percentage, and and so. Um, Uh, The thing is that Marib and Adromato are two regions of Yemen. They produce it, but they don't use it. And that's one of the reasons why uh, in 2014 (coughs) the turmoil and uh, the the presence of Houthis uh, became very strong. Because they use um, uh, this 80% um, national review uh, coming from oil fact, to push people accepting Houthis in the north and change, um, change the region from that area. Millions of families are really in poverty. Uh, youth unemployment is 50% but now it's increasing and 300,000 Yemenis per year until you know, until 2014, cross the borders to Saudi Arabia. It's important because we have a lot of Yemenis that are living in Saudi Arabia and they send money to the families to Yemen and until now they went into and get out of, of Yemen w- using another border, the border of Seyoun, so not the border of Arad, which is the border closer to the north. and. Um, they basically are saving their families, uh, but at the same point their position in Saudi Arabia is very tricky because they are Yemenis in a country is bombing Yemen. So it's very difficult for them to keep a position, neutral position in this war. Um, we have issues related to health and food. Our population is food insecure. Actually, it's more than 10 million people and because um, uh, actually the GCC is imposing a kind of siege to the north. So, it's not possible to have access to the north of the country at all. The ports of the north today, that in another port, are closed. The airport in Sana'a It's not possible to allow also um, NGOs or international agencies to arrive there with uh, aid. So, uh, the north is completely cut off any kind of, of um, um, a way of importing goods or food or aid. Uh, so, only the south of the country receive it, but what arriving in the south of the country, doesn't arrive to the north. Um, also, because you should take in consideration, we have like 25 checkpoints. Uh, so, if you are a merchant and you have, for example, uh, some goods and you want to take the goods to the north, you should <coughs> pass by 25 checkpoints, deal nicely with all the militias, Pay a very you know high brave and then maybe get into but after one month sometimes four months so uh, that's what's happening actually um, the vast majority of the land is used to harvest ghat I don't know maybe somebody here who was in Yemen knows what ghat is but if for people that doesn't know it's kind of you know uh, it's a drug, it's kind of cocaine, I mean, uh, and people they used to, to chewing um, these leaves every day starting from three to the end of the day. And gut is a disgrace in Yemen because people they don't work, they're just chewing in the afternoon. And gut also uh, suck all the water that's present in the country. So people they don't drink, they don't have access to water, but gut is still growing people have got and they forget all their problems. Uh, 57.7% of the children under five years old are scented and uh, 15.2% is affected by acute malnutrition. 50% of the fees are out of pocket for sanitary issues. And, and so on. And then 200,000 refugees and asylum seekers <coughs> are present in Yemen from Somalia, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Iraq and Syria. Imagine people from, from the corner of Africa are still going to Yemen because they, they wish to get into Saudi Arabia. <coughs> Um, and uh, in terms of, you know, uh, tracking migration, that's a very interesting uh, phenomenon because we have Yemenis that go to Djibouti to escape from the war and people from the corner of Africa, they're still going into Yemen, even though there is the war. And so this is a high number. Why Yemen has all these refugees? Because it's the only country in uh, Arabian Peninsula who signed the agreement for refugees to recognize the refugee status, asylum seekers, etc. So um, why other countries of so the same peninsula they didn't? Um, environmental security, uh, water. Uh, 20-30% of Yemen water is lost through waste, And this is important, as I said, plus the gut issue. There are, of course, informal private markets of water, so black market water. And, um, and also only 120 cubic meters for renewable internal freshwater resources are available per capita per year. So people are not only starving to death. The problems in drinking and also uh, how much this water is a clean water. The uh, cholera issue you know, is very huge also for this reason. And then we come to the point, political security. Uh, it's a country very corrupted uh, nepotism. Just to tell you that the ex-president Ali Abdullah Saleh, he was the president for 33 years and his son was and still is, uh, I mean, officially the mayor of Sana'a. So uh, people of the family, they they rule uh, very big areas of the country. And there's also under-presentation women across the government branches, even though the women they are present are very, very strong social. So, uh, last but not least, we have conflict and violence-based security issues, threats of al-Qaeda uh, kind of the Arabian Peninsula and ISIS. Well, it's it called Wilaya uh, Sana'a, uh, which means the province of Sana'a, which is the local brand of ISIS. Uh, we had, uh, uh, it's still not functioning, but uh, we had uh, the first caliphate in um, from the new era, was in Abiyan and in Al-Mukalla, not in Mosul, not in Raqqa, was was in Yemen, and before 2014. And uh, actually in Al-Mukalla there's no presence, official presence of ISIS anymore, but they are still in the mountains, they're still present at the checkpoint. And then we have tribal conflicts, because Yemen is very fragmented, so, Different families, different militias. They control very few parts of the country, and then you, you should deal with them. And the landscape, uh, the political landscape, changes after very few kilometers. So you should know exactly the people you will meet in the next checkpoint. Otherwise, you can get you can find out from this. So um, uh, the strategy is to. Um, uh, try to find a solution are just strategies actually, but I don't know how much institutions or anybody is um, looking for the strategies. Strong and active support of an inclusive dialogue. That's what civil society and young people, they always try to do. They are still doing in Aden, but they are very few, and the young, they don't have power, so they are struggling help to strengthen governance and institutions and support civil society independent media. That's what happened after the uprising. And, but after 2014, it was impossible to track all this phenomenon. Um, and so this is a very, very big issue actually. Of course, the, uh, the emergency is um, immediate humanitarian relief. That's what we feel as an emergency. But this emergency is coming from solving political problems issues. So. Uh, economic reform for long-term progress and improved security to combat Qaeda and ISIS. Actually uh, Emirates troops um, they are filled with um, some American units uh, are boots on the ground and they're trying to protect uh, the areas of the, of the south but at the same time they are working for their own interests. And that's something that the Yemenis they don't like at all. So um, to give you uh, a, um, a roadmap map of the of the crisis, there were peace talk talks about Yemen uh, in Switzerland, in Kuwait, uh, but no no solution. I mean, there were like just talks for real, and nothing was after. Why? Uh, Recently I met in Lebanon, some people participated to the talks and some other people were coming from Yemen and they criticized very much the talks in Switzerland and in Kuwait. And they said, um, international institutions, they always invite to this, those talks. people are not people really are on the ground. Politicians who uh, left the country some years ago, Uh, they don't go back, they don't know the reality. And when they talk at the peace talks, they always need or to go back to talk with others who are tribal leaders and their power on the ground, or just they need to make phone calls. And this is not good, it's not effective. The other thing it's interesting to know that all these people, they criticize is that for Yemenis, but also for different cultures, uh, um, it's not enough to sit in a table and talk. It's much more important to gather, <coughs> to talk for days, to have tea. Seems like a stupid issue is not, because a lot of tribal conflict in, in Yemen and Libya uh, have a resolution, a solution, because you have the cultural tools to move all this into a kind of peace agreement and that's what doesn't happen in, in, uh, in Geneva and never happened also in Kuwait. Uh, this is the Yemen fragmentation, just to give you an idea, of course it's a, um, uh, it's a map in Arabic because uh, international the community I think only few are really interested in the name of the tribes, but just to give you an idea how many tribes are in Yemen. Those are not the regions, they are the tribes. And so, especially in this area, you see around Tides and then Ib and then Aden. you see how many they are. And that means that uh, you should keep all these people together to create a state. Uh, while in Yemen, the, the state is a cake and you have just, you know, uh, the cover. And if you can find someone able to mix all the ingredients very well, and this one was Sale in the past, um, maybe things are working, but if not, of course, all the ingredients, they don't match each other. And the fragmentation is one of the, um, the risks of the future of the country, and we are quite sure that will be fragmented. Uh, of course, not in all these pieces, as you see, but um, in more than two, maybe four pieces, you know, uh, will happen. Now I will explain you why. You see this is the North and South Yemen, so it was Yemen until 1990. Um, uh, South Yemen, as you know, has a very strong um, past related to communism and of course the British Empire, so uh, it's we can say it's more open in somehow. But while North Yemen was an imamate, and then when happened the unification, Um, it became a republic and Ali Abdullah Saleh became the president. And he he was the one who was able to uh, mix everything together, but wasn't successful uh, in the south and the north, because the tribes of the north, the Houthis and the tribes of the south, they always were uh, concerned about um, the way he deals with them. And some wars happened during this time, so um, this is a very big problem. but actually, uh, just to give you an idea, uh, we have this area <coughs> as uh, down Sanaa, and close um, to Sana, which is the Marib region, uh, they are ready to ask the independence uh, in the future and also an area called Adrama, uh in you know in the south but north Northeast, they are very rich, they function very well, uh, and they are asking also for independence. So maybe we will have four Yemen, we don't know actually, but it's important to know. Um, um, so the solution. Uh, 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 speaking in terms of politics, actually, there's no a clear solution possible. Maybe it will be a temporary solution, but well, we know that the talks were illusory solutions and they, they never arrived into a real solution. Actually, what's happening in Yemen is that all country and all the political actors around are struggling for a kind of final Armageddon, you know. And, uh, and this is very scary because, especially for Yemenis inside. So, actually, we see an unstoppable process that, and so this conflict is continuing with dramatic clarity. Um, Can I ask you just because I want to make sure we get questions, but talk about, you know, about the reporting in Yemen? Yes. I think that's what we are to about. Um, so, um, border issues are very important issues. Um, for people who follow this news, they know that Saudi is the blocked uh, port and airport, because I know that the isolation of the country uh, will could be used as a war tool, as a gun, and so that's what happening actually. And those, just to go very quickly, are some of the. Um, political actors inside Yemen. Um, <clears throat> the local perspective in this conflict is very important. We always talk about uh, uh, regional interests, but the local <coughs> interests are, um, are the key to understand uh, this country and also to find out uh, and find a solution. So, um, and I go into uh, you know, the, the way of reporting in Yemen. Um, first of all, border issues, uh, how it's possible to get into. Uh, my last time I crossed the Oman border, uh, going into Al-Gaida, you see the the first city you see there, very <coughs> close to Oman, and uh, it was possible due uh, uh, a family visa. So just to be honest and clear, my last time in Yemen I didn't enter with a press, a visa for the press, otherwise it was impossible to report. And, and so the problem is that you can go, go to Sana'a without a flight or uh, you, can go, you can go to Aden, but you need always to take a bus or a car to go to the north. Uh, why I choose this route? Very simple, because we knew that all the people that did this journey from Al-Qaeda uh, going close to Al mukalla and then going to the north to the Adramaut, and from Adramaut, surrounding Mareb, and from Mareb right to Al Jauf, and from Al Jauf, Amran, and then Sana'a. Why they surrounded Mareb? Because in Marib there were a lot of clashes. What we entered into. Um, they have a very long journey, but the people who did it, uh, uh, they went back, and nothing Yemenis, I'm saying, and nothing. But happened then, um, so it was the safest route. Safest also means that with 25 checkpoints of different militias, <laughs> I mean, anything can happen to you, but, um, and of course it was very, very stressful and very long, because it takes four days at least, four days and half to write or something. <coughs> the other point is, um, mm, there's something to say about uh, reporting Yemen nowadays. Um, why, in general, except for uh, um, members of the press, they receive a visa from Saudi authorities, and they are allowed only to get into Aden, because that's what they, they basically they do. Why people reported from Sana'a, like Nawal, or in this case me, are women? Uh, because being a woman in Yemen nowadays gives us like a cover to go and report uncovered. No one can search in our bags, because it's a tribal rule not to search in the bags of a woman. Nobody can search on your, on your body, because uh, at the checkpoints, uh, militias are only men. If they do this to a Yemeni woman, it would be very, very shameful, it's impossible. They never touch a woman. So we use this to carry with us cameras and lenses. <laughs> And that was a very nice tool uh, because and the same did Iona Craig, maybe you know. Uh, you know. she's a great uh, Irish reporter uh, and she's freelancer as I am. And, um, and so um, because no one in Yemen still now uh, feels that um, a danger can come from a woman. And so we are using this. Um, so that's the route we follow, and, um, and you see the, the areas from al to Al-Mkalla as, as completely empty. It's just uh, like in Afghanistan, it's just like uh, mountains and wadis and, and nothing. So maybe what happened to you, it's just you disappear in the desert, <laughs> in the mountains, or maybe the bus has a carat- has an accident and, you know, no one can rescue, so this is the real danger from my point of view, more than militias. So risks and threats are, mm, you know, uh, in conflict zones are the daily life, so we should deal with it. And um, uh, first thing you should know who's controlling whom, uh, who has the power in this piece of land, so Yemen is complicated for this reason, so you should know, for example, from the surnames of the people, uh, which kind of tribe they are belonging to, and which tribe where is positioned in the conflict, and so from my point of view, you can know this if you don't understand the country, if you don't live there, if you don't speak Arabic and if you don't speak also a local dialect, and so that's the reason why Yemen is so difficult, so complicated to understand a reporting from. Um, so and now I, I get into the practical stuff. Uh, reporters in the war zones are facing the most challenging conditions. You should be very, 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 very flexible, completely flexible, and um, and and so because uh, one day maybe you can go in somewhere and then everything changes and. For example, what happened in the last days, you know, at one point that South is the close of borders, so what to do for people who are in and they think to, to go, for example, to go out of the country from one border. You should assess again your plan. So this is important. Uh, uh, don't, um, you know, when you feel pressure, don't be anxious at all. Uh, mental and physical preparedness and attitude. Uh, this is so important if you are not uh, for me, from a point of view, if you are not able to save the life of your colleagues, if you are not well trained in if you don't know uh, what the meaning of being, you know, re- have the, the pressure of uh, kind of psychological pressure around you, and you are not able to, uh, to get out of this, uh, don't do that. You know, it's not necessary of being a conflict journalist if you don't feel Uh, I can't say comfortable, I mean, uh, because what is not comfortable for anyone, that's not at all. But if you think you can't deal uh, 100% with this. So I I truly believe that people that do this job in general, that could be very optimistic um, and uh, keep their hopes up, even though everything seems that doesn't work, but there's a very, you know, a good way of dealing. Um, But we should do something before, during and after. Because we don't take a plane, we go to Congo. We don't take a plane and we go to uh, a place where people are fighting. So before setting off an assignment in a dangerous area, uh, we must be prepared uh, physically, mentally and from the logistic side. Uh, that means gathering information, so as to anyone who was before us, assessing risk, choosing fixers and trustworthy contacts and working out safety and communication procedures for, for use while you are traveling. That's so important. And if you are a freelancer, it's much more difficult because you should do this, uh, all this by your own. There's no one who calls and you know, books a flight for you and, and so on. So, and that's just the minimum. Um, risk assessment, so important. So I should find out as, as much as we can about the place where we intend to go, such as security, social, political, health conditions, the climate, media infrastructure. Uh, to be honest with you, I always refuse to report, for example, in Ukraine or in Russia. I I hate the cold, <laughs> I don't speak Russian or, uh, you know, any kind of language in that area, so I feel lost, basically, I, I mean, I don't want to get into this because I, I think maybe I failed or I don't understand what's happening around me and maybe, I, you know, uh, I don't want to do that, so I want to be very uh, specific and um, uh, have my knowledge, especially in a few places, and being honest, because we can't cover everything. That's my point of view But maybe uh, we can discuss about it. So familiar as I yourself with the culture, customs and code of dress and behavior. For me, this is very important about Yemen. Um, some reporters happen to... Uh, Uh, I'm sorry to say that, uh, an American colleague, he was kidnapped in Yemen, it was in 2013. (coughs) And then he was killed in a conflict uh, between uh, American rescues and uh, uh, people from Al-Qaeda. He used to walk into Sana'a, wearing exactly as an American, with long hair. And you know what the people, the Yemeni people, they still say about him. I'm very sorry to say that because sometimes for us, it's very difficult to enter in this, this mentality. They said, we had the ferry was um, homosexual. It was a shame because because he had the longer. And in Yemen, when you have longer, you are automatically homosexual. So just to, you know, to consider, that there are some social issues, some cultural issues that for us they don't mean anything, but maybe they put our life in danger. And if no one tells you that maybe you should do in a different way, maybe you are really in danger. So just an example, um, unfortunately, you know it's a bad example because no one deserves to be killed for any reason like that. Anyway, um, so uh, all this uh, will help you better understand your surroundings and integrate more easily. For example, Yemen, I never um, wear a niqab. But uh, when I reported about kids uh, trafficking of uh, kids through the borders between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, I wear a niqab because I didn't want the people see my face. Also, I can use this as a, as a protection for myself. When I get into Yemen now, I use niqab. Um, I don't look like a Western woman. I look like <laughs> a local woman. I speak the dialect, but I don't want to identify my face because maybe somebody, who knows? Yeah. So, for example, this is important. And why I wear niqab now? Because starting from the war, all the women are wearing niqab. Because they have the fear that somebody can do something against them, for example, in the streets, especially the young woman, and they don't want to be identified as the wife of this one who is with hoodies and with other one who is with government. So I do the same, and uh, even though it's difficult to to shoot with the camera with the niqab, but I do it. I don't like it, but I do it. Um, So um, what to do? well, there's a lot to do when you report from, from this kind of zones. Gather information, first thing. So talk with local news organizations, talk with colleagues who are already there or have recently returned. So being cooperative as a journalist with other journalists is a way also to save the life of colleagues. So we don't need to be selfish. Right? We need to cooperate to do the better. Um, there are also journalist discussion groups on social media for ex- exchanging devices, such as Vulture Club on Facebook. Uh, I'm one of the admin of Yama Logistics Group on Facebook, which is a secret group. And uh, we exchange information. I'm going to get in, I'm going get out, what happened, etc. Um, well, the third point is um, well, sometimes it's. It, interesting or maybe useful to talk with diplomats who are representatives for the United Nations or NGO working in the area. About Yemen, I can tell you that it's not at all. Uh, recently CBS published um, a report about how it was difficult for, for them to get into Yemen and how UN didn't do anything to help them. But As Yemenis, we knew this before, because UN agencies don't want to be in the middle. They want to stay silent. They don't want to upset anyone this war. Uh, They don't want to do the same mistakes that were done with Syria. So as journalists, don't take for granted that uh, United Nations may will help you. Um, of course, researchers, many workers, military personnel—we, you know, uh, familiar with the area we should ask, uh, gather information by them, and more experienced journalists, of course, that they know well the country. Bureaucracy—it's uh, crazy stuff, <laughs> always have permits and accreditation that we need for entering the country or region. It's tedious and time-consuming stuff, Well, we need to get into this and in, go through this. Uh, because it's worse when we arrive in, the, in a country and we find that ourselves stopped at the checkpoint, it's not nice. For example, actually there are some colleagues that are covering the uh, Rohingya crisis in Myanmar, and some of them they are entering with touristic visa. And it's not good because the authorities they are um, issuing um, press visa for one week. And so if you use the tourist visa actually, you really get into into troubles. But the beginning of the crisis was possible to do that and stay there for longer. So we should monitor all this um, to try to understand what to do. Um, Assess the risk carefully. Um, Ask ourselves these questions. Do I know enough about the place where I'm going? Uh, and the second question is very important. Is the subject sufficiently newsworthy to justify the risks I'm taking? Uh, I should go get into and then don't sell anyone what I'm doing? What, I mean, what's the deal? Um, uh, what are the potential risks? Um, have worked out a uh, procedure to stay in contact with my news desk and my family. That's the reason why it's so important also to be very, very well skilled about encryptions, emails, and this part of the job is so important. It's not a secondary um, tool. Uh, and also, do I really want to go? I'm physically okay? For example, you should take a flight tomorrow and then, uh, I don't know, you have flu or something worse. You have, I don't know, bronco and you go there, no. I mean, it's better. <laughs> Otherwise you are in front line dying and no one can help you or you disturb your, your, uh, your colleagues. <coughs> they, they should care of you, so. Uh, this is very important. Should we be honest with ourselves? Know your limitations. Um, just to tell you, I'm, I'm, a good, you know, I'm good in caring stuff but not good in jumping. For example, I'm not very, you know, um, trained person from the side. So, for example, when I went to Mosul, I, I didn't go into the houses where everything was broken, and because I didn't want to fail like stupid and then being rescued by someone. So you should be very, very honest with yourself. But well, i you know, I, I'm good to do this. I, I don't should go through something that I'm not able to do. And so, listen to your instincts and not force yourself to go. If your colleagues are going, they want to go and you feel it's not good, don't go. Because some of them, they were killed because of this reason. Um, Happened, for example, in Libya to a couple of our colleagues. So, uh, before leaving, make sure you have all the vaccination. Uh, Actually, to get into Yemen, you need to have a cholera vaccination because otherwise you keep cholera there. Mm, um you know I'm, i don't want to to do the least but um assess the risk of the assignment and also ensure your family is safe to, um is forewarned about your movements laura speak up so would like some questions yeah well. yeah sure so, sure so i think we can go because i mean everyone here yeah. friend experience, i don't think you need to go through the checklist. So i'd like we let some to discuss some Sure, sure. Management, management, okay, management. so, um, well, if you want, um, eventually I'm, I'm ready for the question. Yeah, the questions say something that is really important? Sure, offer, sure, like, sure. Um, and so, equipment and logistics is really, really important, if you want, in your bag, vehicle, just in case, first aid, trauma kit. And uh, you should anticipate risks, if you want. Uh, you have guidelines for moving around and at the end you have checkpoints and you are now my checkpoint so yeah. please question thank you and if it's okay with you i'll take your slides at sure sure I sure uh, i have also a bibliography so you can get into it right. thank you you're, you're welcome, welcome. <laughs>